0: Welcome to the Inspiration Tub Podcast, exploring topics ranging from the nature of reality to personal and leadership development. Your host for this show is Dr. Essan Sakahi.
1: Good morning. Uh, We have Professor Edward Desi of Rochester University. Professor Desi is a Gowan Professor of Psychology, and um, he has worked on on the self-determination theory since the 1970s. Um, He's a world-renowned psychologist, and we are honored to have him with us today. Uh, Hello, Professor Desi. Thank you for joining us today. Hello
0: to you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: Now, Professor Desi, um, you have worked on uh, the theory of self-determination uh, theory for the past 40 odd years, and thousands of researchers have worked on it in this area. And um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about the theory and how it can be applied to a project uh, management environment?
0: Okay, sure. <clears throat> Um, it's a theory of motivation. It's it's based in the idea of motivation. So that's really what we're up to, is using a motivational analysis of human behavior. So when most people think about the idea of motivation, and I'm talking about people on the street, but I'm also talking about psychologists and econo- economists, they think about motivation as something that is a unitary concept. And by that I mean you can have more of it or less of it. And that's basically what people are always asking about. How can I get him to be more motivated to do something? Um, Occasionally less motivated, but usually they want us to be more motivated for things. Um, And you know that's a straightforward way of thinking about it. And um, I believe that if you measured the amount of motivation a person had for some behavior, you could predict the amount of that behavior that the person engages in. But I've never thought that the amount of behavior is the important thing. For me, it's much more a matter of the quality of behavior. I don't care about how much learning you do or how much exercise you do or something. I care more about the quality of that. So let me give you an example. Suppose you've got a group of students and you're asking them to learn something. Some of the students will go away with the material you provided and memorize every fact that's contained within that material that's learning. They're spending time at it, they're putting effort into it, and they're doing a lot of learning. Other students who take that material away are going to read over it and think about it and try to understand what are the themes that are contained in this material. What important concepts are there? They're interested in the facts to some extent but they're more interested in how the facts relate to each other rather than just memorizing them. Both of those types of students that you might have would be learning and they might be learning a lot and working hard to learn a lot but the quality of the learning is different particularly for most kinds of jobs for projects for instance and so on understanding what you're doing understanding concepts and how the facts are tied in is more important than just knowing a lot of facts for many of the things we're interested in. Okay, you can't predict that difference from the amount of motivation. What you have to do is to differentiate motivation into types of motivation. And that's really what self-determination theory does as a starting place. It differentiates motivation into two types. We call them autonomous motivation and controlled motivation. Now, autonomous motivation means that you're doing something with a full sense of willingness, volition, and choice. At this moment, you think, this is what I want to be doing. If that's the case, if you're doing something and that's your experience of it, it means you're autonomously motivated. On the other hand, your motivation might be control. And that means that you feel pressure and control to do it. Something or someone is pushing on you, trying to force you to do it, or maybe they're trying to um, induce you to do it. This kind of controlled motivation, the experience is pressure, but it can come either from sort of seductive, dangling hundred dollar bills in front of you, or it can come through coercion or force. But they're both types of control, as it turns out. And when you go back to the question of people saying, how do I get him more motivated? If they don't differentiate between these types of motivation, they'll fall very easily into, oh, the way you motivate people is offer them money or threaten them with punishments. And that's so much what people think about. You can motivate people with enough, if you've got enough money and the people want the money that you've got to give them, you can get them to do things. And if you're forcing them, um, coercing them with threats of punishment, you can often get them to do things, but the motivation is going to be this controlled type of motivation. They're going to feel pressure and control in the process. What we find is that those two different kinds of motivation, autonomous and controlled, lead to very different qualities of behavior. So stick with the idea of learning. The example I just gave, for example. Um, And what you find is that when people are autonomously motivated to learn, that's when they're learning conceptually. It's the deeper kind of learning of really understanding what this is all about. Autonomous motivation leads to that quality of learning, whereas controlled motivation, when you're forcing people using grades or using force of some sort to get them to learn something, then what they end up doing is just learning the facts. Mm So the point I'm trying to make here is that there are different kinds of motivation, and that the different kinds of motivation in whatever it is that we're talking about, whether it's work in an organization, or it's learning, or it's taking your medicine, if your doctor has given you some medicine to take, for example, or if it's trying to... encourage your children to do certain kinds of things that you believe are good for them. Whatever it is that we're talking about motivating people to do, this distinction applies. And the quality that comes out if they're autonomously motivated is greater than if they're controlled in their motivation. Mm -hmm. So that brings us then to how do you get people to be more autonomously motivated rather than controlled? I've already said that with controlled motivation, you get them to do it with lots of money or, you know, get behind them with a whip or something like that. Some type of control. It's it's more difficult in a sense, but much more satisfying when you're trying to encourage or facilitate autonomous motivation in people. You know, people are inherently motivated. People come into this world with a real willingness to engage the world. You look at little babies. Mm -hmm. They are so eager to be learning. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. They're eager to be doing the things that they see their older brothers or sisters doing or the things they see their parents doing. Mm -hmm. We are in our very nature motivated to engage the world. Mm-hmm. What happens, however, we find is that if you use controls to try and motivate people, it actually undermines the inherent motivation that we have. Mm. We find in experiments, for example, that if we've got people doing things that they find really interesting to do, maybe working on a puzzle, for example, or something, and then we reward them, give them money, for example, for doing that, they actually lose their interest in it. They were motivated in the first place out of the sense of interest in the activity, but now you start rewarding them They lose their interest in the activity. Now they see the activity as just something that gets them to this outcome of rewards or avoidance of punishment, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. The carrot or the stick, so to speak. What then do you do to keep them autonomously motivated? And the answer to that is we use it, it... To answer that, I really have to take a little sidestep and talk about one other very important aspect of self-determination theory. And that is, within self-determination theory, we believe that all human beings have three basic psychological needs. And when I'm talking about a basic psychological need, I'm talking about something that you need in order to be psychologically healthy. You need, for example, to feel competent about the way you engage the world in order to feel good about yourself. If you flunk a test and then you flunk another test and then some teacher tells you you're a terrible student or your manager tells you you're a terrible employee or whatever, You get all this negative feedback, you feel incompetent, and then you really begin to feel bad as a person. You know, you get depressed and discouraged and so on. You have this need to feel competent, to feel effective in the world. When you get that need satisfied, you're full of motivation and enthusiasm. But when that need is thwarted by the environment, then you lose your sense of motivation and you show negative psychological consequences. Okay? So part of facilitating people's autonomous motivation is encouraging them to do well, providing them with positive feedback, for instance. Give them challenges that are appropriate to them, not challenges that are appropriate to Somebody else who's got much more experience in this particular area, for example. All of that has to do with helping people feel competent. The second need that all human beings have is they need to feel related to other people. Who in the world doesn't want to have a best friend? I mean, you know, find find me three people in the whole world who aren't interested in having a, a good friend, and most people are interested in having romantic relationships. Not all, but most. Somehow, though, amongst our friends, amongst our peers and co-workers, amongst our romantic relationships, we have this need to feel related and close and connected to other people. When people feel like they're having that need satisfied, they feel wonderful. They feel satisfied in their lives. They feel like this is something that's really important here that's going on for me. So now we see that having a sense of competence is important for being psychologically healthy having some sense of ongoing relatedness is important for being psychologically healthy, and feeling those things both contribute to helping people be autonomously motivated. There's a third need, and that third need is autonomy itself. Autonomy is not just a a type of motivation. All human beings need to feel autonomous. They need to satisfy that that, um, requirement in, in their lives. When people feel satisfaction of the autonomy need, they're psychologically healthy. They're engaged in whatever it is that they're doing, their work, for example, but when they don't feel autonomous again, they start to feel bad about themselves and and um, there are a range of negative consequences. Their performance is worse, for example, we don't see that high quality performance that comes along uh, uh, that comes along when they're autonomously motivated mm-hmm. so I've said now that all humans have these needs it doesn't matter whether you're East Asian or Northern European or South American or whatever your gender is, whatever your um, nationality is, whatever your race is, whatever your level of socioeconomic status is, it doesn't matter. We all need these things. And when we get these needs satisfied, then we are able to... um, be more autonomously motivated so as a manager if you have people working on some project if you're kind of the supervisor in that situation then what you need to be doing is thinking about those the people who are on that project so as to support their being able to feel competent related And autonomous. Mm -hmm. That means rather than just telling them what to do if we've got something that's going on between us here, I start by asking you how you see it. Here's a job I want you to engage in or work on this project or a particular part of it or something. I'm going to start this conversation with asking you how you think about it. Mm -hmm. What does this mean to you, for instance? If I can understand your perspective, then I can help encourage you in how to go about doing it. I'm going to provide you positive feedback when I see you doing things well, for instance. I'm going to give you a, send a choices about how you do things. I'm not going to tell you, you do this and you do it now and you do it in this way. I'm going to encourage you to make those decisions for yourself so you feel the sense of autonomy and engagement and involvement and so forth. Mm-hmm. So really when we think about motivation now, in a newer way of thinking about it, we have to think about how do we support our children's or our employees or our athletes, whoever it is, our patients, whoever it is we're talking about, how do we help support satisfaction of their basic psychological needs and as we're doing that we'll find them more engaged and more willing to do the activity and we'll also find that they're happier and um, more psychologically healthy.
1: Exactly and, and also uh, helping them have those basic psychological needs their performance will be actually a lot Better than if, if you're actually yeah. trying to force them to do things. They might get things done, but then at the same time they might get stressed out, and the performance lowers as well. So it's just in every mm-hmm. from every dimension you look at it, it's it's uh, it's very important to provide those basic psychological needs. Right. That's fantastic. And uh, so, is there anything else that might be important? Like in a project environment, for instance, there are deadlines and uh, their constraints and sometimes their lack of resources. Um, would it help to engage employees and, and kind of explain to them these different factors that are playing a role? Like the project manager basically is in a, in, in a lot of ways, uh, constrained by the resources mm-hmm. and, and deadlines that are, uh, bestowed upon them from upper management, for instance. Um, In such a, in in these kind of instances, what's the best kind of strategy to communicate with the the project personnel, but at the same time provide them with those basic psychological needs so that they can kind of be most effective?
0: Yeah, what I'm going to be trying to do in that kind of situation Mm -hmm. is have a relationship that Mm -hmm. feels good with those people. Mm -hmm. I'm wanting to relate to them in an honest and open and straightforward kind of way, and I want to encourage that from them as well. So we've got a new project, and we're beginning to talk about it, and I'm going to want people to begin to problem-solve and think about how to proceed with it and so forth. But we also need to be clear up front that there are certain constraints that exist with respect to this, you know? It's, we're working on this project within the context of a larger organization, for example. And there are certain, um, as you said, deadlines associated with it. And there may be some other constraints of whatever sort it happens to be. Okay, so let's be clear about what those are. Now that's fine. We're working with that. We get on with doing the work. So how about we get into it? What do you need from me to help you begin to get into it, for example? Mm-hmm. And we're we're there. With a, we bring to it a sense of enthusiasm as the project manager, for instance. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be very responsive to the members of the team when anything comes up that that's important or interesting. So yeah, um, the real world has has its limitations and and um requirements that's okay so now let's get on with doing the best job that we can um and and do it with a sense of enjoyment and and encouragement of each other
1: exactly and and this this kind of communication is more relationship focused than than task focused. it's just saying okay um, let's do it together. Let's work together and let's enjoy the process rather than, hey, you've got to do this. This is the deadline. It's just a different kind of communication, which has a right. a, a dramatic effect on, on the outcome.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It is. It is about, it's about working together on it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a task here, and so we're thinking about the task, but hey, that's what we're here to do we're a project team and what we're up to is solving these problems or figuring out how to best to create something new, or whatever the project is. So that's what we're here to do. So let's, let's do it and let's work together to do it.
1: Fantastic. Professor Desi, are there any final words of wisdom that you'd like to impart with, with our students?
0: Um, well, sure. There's some things. Um, Autonomous motivation is really about a couple of different things in a way. One is it's about interest and enjoyment. So what I want to, one of the, one of the things I want to say is I encourage you all to think about what's really interesting to you in, in life. What is it? What is the kind of work that's really engaging and interesting for you? And, in, and go with it. Whatever domain we're you're, you're talking about, what, whatever the things are that interest you, I say those are the things that I would encourage you to go to. And the other thing is, we all have values that are really meaningful and important in our lives. And I think that being um, finding meaning in your life comes from doing what interests you, and it comes from behaving in a way that's consistent or congruent with these deeply held values that you have for yourself. And a good manager is going to be somebody who supports you to be doing those things to the extent that you can within whatever constraints exist there. But in terms of your own life, I say, you know, it's really up to you to find what interests you and what's really valuable. And as you do that, what I say is, go for it. Exactly.
1: And and it might help for managers to uh, actually... Have a have a conversation with their uh, employees on what are your values, what are you interest, interested in, and somehow sure. uh, you know take those factors into consideration when assigning tasks and projects to their employees and sure. communicating. Thank you so much, Professor Desi. Now it's been an honor to have you, and uh, I, I always enjoyed. And it was it was a pleasure to see you in in Rochester, you know, a couple of years back, and. Oh, looking forward to have a chance to, to meet you again. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for your time again. Okay. Bye. Uh.
0: Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our
1: podcast and feel free to drop us a five-star review. This greatly helps others find the show so they can benefit from the content. See you next time.